Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. It's just great you joined us on this episode of This Week in the Word. We're in a series entitled Pilgrims in Babylon. The title of this episode is Authentic Leadership from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. We'll take our Bibles and let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to complete that chapter today and the book of 1 Peter in our series, Pilgrims in Babylon, which focuses on the fact that we as believers in Christ are making our way through this fallen world system, this Babylon, which is no friend of Christians and no friend of grace. Everything is set against us, and yet this is not our home. We're battling our way through on the way to heaven, and there's suffering involved sometimes, as we see. So we come to this section in 1 Peter 5, and I believe a a very apt title is Authentic Leadership. So let's turn to 1 Peter 5, as I mentioned a moment ago. Hopefully you're there by now. And I just wanted to say, as we think about authentic leadership and some of the craziness we see around us, even in the church world, don't get me started, all right? There's major league church leadership failures. Now, we have in too many cases what I would call pop culture churches versus the biblical church. There are cults of personality in many of these pop culture big box churches, and a cult of personality, whether it's in religion or politics or any other field of human endeavor, a cult of personality always deceives, then disappoints the naive and shallow. And that certainly is true among professing Christians in the church world. Too often, they are taken in by those that, I'm not judging where they are with the Lord personally, but man, the leadership of the churches that they are uh, in charge of and, and some of the terrible consequences and results that flow from that, a cult of personality, just leaves a lot of human wreckage behind them. There are numerous examples from big box church leaders across America and around the world within just the last three to five years. I'm not talking about, you know, the Jim Jones cult type things that we've known of for decades and decades. I'm just talking about even in recent years uh, in what would pass for uh, Christianity in in some of these larger churches. uh, You know, they're not They're not preaching false doctrine in many cases, but just the way things are done, the the way the lives of the leadership are conducted, (laughs) you know, it's usually not a cult in a theological sense, but in a cultural sense. And it's not so much that they're hucksters, although I'm sure that's true of some, as they're more intent on being hipsters. And follow what I'm saying there. It's not that so many of these in leadership in the larger churches are, are setting out to deceive people who attend there and who watch and, you know, tune in, so forth. It's not so much that as, as a lot of these um, alleged leaders of these larger uh, 
uh, what some call millennial churches, big box churches, I call them. It's not so much that they're setting out to lead people astray from biblical doctrine or from Christ. It's it, it, to me, it seems that so many of them are intent on just being uh, down with it, hipsters, you know, in tune with the times, uh, seeker sensitive, all that kind of stuff, so that they seem just like the world. And that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I saw a photograph recently of one such person who's in the news, and, and, I, and I would say to you, like if you were a member there, I would say, that's your pastor? You gotta be kidding me. You know, too often we see these type of folks. Sometimes they're, they're all tatted up and they're dressed down like a homeless hobo with that grizzled, unshaven, worn-out look of a drunken, drug-addicted desperado. And I want you to know, I, I believe it is an intentionally cultivated look that's designed to make the hapless and the hopeless say, he relates to me. He's just like me in my lost, unsaved, sinful condition. I don't have to change. I can just add in a little big box churchianity supplied by my current hero pastor, and whammo bammo, I am okay. Well, I don't think it works that way. You know what I mean? So let's go into 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at several major themes today. And the first theme is authentic leadership is provided by example. And authentic leadership by example delivers even during times of suffering. Peter, we're going to see him here. He's the writer of, of the book of First Peter. Peter, if you're not, you know, real keyed in on Bible and all of that, and, and I'm glad you're here, even if you're not. I'm very glad you're here. Peter was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he became a disciple, a handpicked follower who would learn from his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he was handpicked as an apostle, a specially handpicked representative, a messenger, like an ambassador, sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know by the end of his life, he would be, he would be considered a martyr because he was, in fact, martyred. He died for his faith in Christ. We're going to see in a moment that he, even though he could claim all of that, and it would be true, he said, I'm a fellow elder and a witness. And that word there is actually martyr. That's what martyr means. He was a fellow elder and witness to the passion of Christ. That is his, his crucifixion, death and burial and resurrection. And he described himself not only as a fellow elder and witness to the passion of Christ, but also as a companion, a partner, a sharer and the glory that is to come with Christ and to all believers when we are with Christ. So, also in this passage, you're going to see the use of the uh, Greek words, but the English words for elder, pastor, and bishop. 
that is an elder is a presbyteros, a pastor is a poimon, a bishop is, is to take, uh, he's an episcopeo, that is to oversee. All of these are descriptions of and words for the same office in the church, the office of a pastor. It just either describes his character or the role he is to play, but it's the same person. And a church, I believe, to be completely biblical, should have a multiplicity of elders like this um, that shepherd the flock. But we're going to see that they're in this office and they perform this service by choice, not by constraint. They do it because they want to, not because they have to. And what they do is done for God, not for gold. They do it for God, not for gain. And they do it not as superiors to the people they shepherd, but as examples. And they do it for eternal spiritual reward, not earthly financial gain. And I want you to know something. There is no record not one example of any New Testament leader, and I'm talking about uh, Peter, James, and John, Paul, Timothy, and so on. There's not one example of any New Testament leader who enriched themselves at the expense of the flock and lived a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. Not one. And it didn't take long, though, after they were gone and with Christ, for Satan to show some how they could actually do everything I just said that shouldn't be done. And it led to the rise of the institutional church with positions and power, pomp, and prestige, and all the other things that can go along with that. And that was not a good good time or season for the church. All right, so let's let's dive in. So we're going to see authentic leadership, by example, delivers during suffering that the church goes through. But we also see the beauty of the of humility because it reflects Jesus Christ. We see the morality play, the cautionary tale of Peter's own satanic encounter. You remember in the garden when he when he fled Christ and then three times um, at the trials, he denied that he even knew Jesus Christ. And Christ had told him that he had prayed for him, that, that his faith would not fail. And Peter's faith did not fail. Peter made it through that because of Jesus. But he went through excruciating suffering because of his, his denials, his desertion. And yet the Lord kept his promise to Peter. And we'll see at the end that, that Peter actually uh, used the help of people like Silvanus and Marcus. And he served the church at Babylon. I believe that referred, you know, probably to the church at Rome. But certainly the entire church is in the midst of Babylon, this fallen world system. And he was in Christ Jesus, just as every believer. So let's, let's dive right in. 1 Peter 5, and we're starting in verse 1. 
The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So he's writing to the pastors of the church at this Babylon, and he's, he's exhorting them, urging them, encouraging them. And he says, I, I'm an elder too. Uh, and when, what, is, what is he urging them to do? Well, as an actual eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ and as a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, this is what he urged them to do. Number two, verse two, feed the flock of God which is among you. You know, the church you are a part of, it's not the pastor's church, it's not your church. That church, if it's a real one, is God's church. And the pastors here are told to feed or shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That is the the believers among whom they ministered and served and worshiped with, they were to, to realize that they had to shepherd this flock, which was God's flock. And surely that also means that not only that God would help them, but, but they would give account to God for that. Now, it'll change how you serve real quick. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, that is not that you are forced to. You have to like, all right, I guess I got to go serve. Man, if that's somebody's attitude, they don't need to be in ministry. Taking the oversight, that's where that word episcopeo is, uh, to, to watch over. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. That is, they're to, they're to do this gladly, willingly, and not because they, they may be paid for it or they hope they'll be paid a lot for it or something like that. They're not doing this just because it's a job. If somebody is supposedly in the ministry and it seems like they're in it to make money, something's wrong there. It's not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. That is, they are eager to properly serve this flock of God that they are privileged to shepherd. That should be the heart and the mind, the soul and spirit of every true shepherd or pastor of God. Verse 3, neither is being lords over God's heritage, that is, a pastor is not to be a taskmaster like a, a slave driver or, a, you know, a drill sergeant or something. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. And a reminder there again, this is God's church, not his, but being examples to the flock. You know, Dwight Eisenhower, before he was president, was the commander of the Allied forces in the European theater of World War II, uh, getting ready to invade Europe and drive the Nazis into non-existence. He would often have junior officers join his general staff, and he, would, he always carried a piece of uh, small length of string in his pocket. And when he had new officers, he would 
teach them in his uh, briefings and planning for operations that he would take that string out and lay it on a table and he would say, you know, you can't push this string anywhere. And he would demonstrate that by trying to push it and it would just, you know, crumple up. But he said, by grabbing it by one end, he said, but you can lead it anywhere you want it to go. And he would pull that string along. Uh, point was made. His junior officers were not going to be followed because they outranked their other, uh, you know, their NCOs and their enlisted men. They were going to be followed into battle because they were respected and, and revered because of their leadership. You know, you can only order people so far, but you can lead them by example wherever they need to go. So he says here, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. That's, that's authentic leadership. Now, there's something in it for these guys that do this, these pastors that are truly called by God and they're not mama called. You know, I think there's too often people who serve in the ministry and and they may mean well, I'll just assume that, but God may not have ever called them. They may have done it more because mama wanted them to be a preacher than, than the Lord. I mean, if you're listening and that's you, respectfully, you need to get out of the ministry, find out what God wants you to do, get busy doing that. But if you're going to be a pastor, it should be because God called you and, and gifted you to do that. But even for the pastors, pastors who are God called and do it with a right heart, the right way, God's way, they're not perfect, but they're truly authentic trying to do this his way in leading the church. And here, here's a promise for them. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, amen, the great shepherd and bishop of our souls. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You know, some have called this the pastor's crown, the shepherd's crown. And um, that, that may well be. I'll just, I'll agree with that. I'll call it that. For the pastors that serve as the Lord would have them serve, doesn't mean they're perfect, but their heart is right, and they're being used of God. Verse 4 applies, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So we see there in verses 1 through 4 that authentic leadership is, is delivered by example, and that example even delivers during times of church suffering. You know, there, there have always been days when the church has suffered persecution. There, it is going on now in many places around the world, and we're starting to see it pretty clearly even in America, and I, I believe it can get a whole lot worse than it is now. I mean, it's almost nothing now compared to what brothers and sisters are going through around the world, but we can see it. Uh, you know, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph, that, that idea from the book of Exodus. Um, the people in government now don't know who God is. They don't know who Christians are, and they don't care either. You know, you're going to do what they tell you to do and you will like it. You know, that's their attitude. Um, that's not good. And 
it's it's a guaranteed train crash ahead of us. Um, not that we're trying to make that happen. They're making it happen, but there's going to be a big train crash because of this. But uh, we may go through a lot more than we've ever gone through so far. And it's going to take authentic leadership of churches uh, to to help us all get through that. And it hasn't caught God by surprise. He has plenty of authentic leadership in churches. If you're in a type of church that is not characterized by that, you need to find one that is. And if you are blessed to be in that type of church with the right type of pastoral leadership, you should thank God for that. And you could f- you should find out how you can encourage your pastor. All right. Verses 5 through 7, we see something else that's really neat. It's the beauty of humility. You know, a, a true leader of Jesus Christ will have the Lord's humility all over them, and it reflects Jesus Christ. So we see here in verse 5, and I think here, I, I believe the way I'm reading this, he turns more from talking to the pastors to just talking to the whole church at large. That's what I think. Verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, I could see how if there were younger pastors, um, they they would have to learn to to get under the leadership of their their older pastors. I, I get that, and that may well be an aspect here. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves, and that word is uh, to line yourself up under the unto the elder. Yea, all of you, and I believe this is a whole church right here. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. In other words, they all do this, and be clothed with humility. You know, if somebody tells you they're extraordinarily humble. You know they're not. So he says here, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And wow, in a time of suffering, everybody learns how to get humble fast, right? They should. And he says here, just line yourself up under the mighty hand of God, and and God will God will lift you up in due time, you know, when it's the right time. Verse 7 this is important if you're in a church situation as a believer in Christ, you're in a society, a culture, a country that begins to persecute Christians. And I think in America, we're, we're in the very early stages of that without a spiritual revival. Um, and, and I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe it's absolutely imminent. But that doesn't mean that we won't go through some trouble before the rapture of the church. So uh, if that's the case, 
there are going to come times when we have a lot of things that can make us anxious, you know, worry. And verse 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I like that. He doesn't say here, well, you shouldn't ever be feeling any worry or any any concern. Well, maybe maybe I shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> and so do you, right? <laughs> Especially if we go through suffering for Christ. So he doesn't chide us here, says, well, you shouldn't feel that. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Amen. Wow. And authentic leadership helps us learn to do that. So that's important, very important. Then in verses 8 through 11, we, we see what we can think of back in Peter's earlier life as a younger man, much younger man. I would say this was probably 30 or 40 years earlier in Peter's life. That morality play where, where Peter's warned, you know, the flesh is going to fail, Peter. Oh, no, not me. I'll, I'll even die for you, Lord. We've all said that. I cannot understand when people um, almost make fun of Peter because we've done that a billion times worse than Peter, right? But Peter, Peter just felt like he would never desert the Lord, and, and yet he did. And we know all about that. We know the bitterness of that to Peter and how he wept. And yet the Lord restored him. And we, we see it as a cautionary tale of Peter's satanic encounter. Jesus said that Satan desired to sift Peter's, Peter and you know sift his faith, like just, just devastate and destroy him. And Jesus said, but I prayed for you that your faith not fail. And it didn't. He came, he came back around in, in his trust in Christ and his witness for Christ. And he even was crucified, tradition tells us, just as Christ was, but refused to be crucified except upside down, knowing that he was unworthy to be crucified exactly as the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's read in verses 8 through 11. Be sober. I was serious. Be vigilant. You know, you know, be alert. Stay on watch. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Amen. You know, sometimes we think that we're the only Christian going through something, and the Lord says, hey, Satan, Satan would eat all of you up if he was not held back. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, you know that you're the devil's enemy and all of the demons with him, they just hate you. You know what I mean? I say, well, Pastor Ed, I don't feel like I'm a particularly great Christian. Hey, 
They they hate you because you are a Christian, period. They hate you because you believe in Christ and you still have a pulse. You still breathe. They just hate you. They would obliterate you and me if they could, but they can't. Now, some of us may go through more intense suffering than others, but all of us are opposed by the devil that Peter says is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's on the hunt. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplishing your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, for those who say that Christians won't suffer or shouldn't suffer, or if you're going through a time of it because you're walking with the Lord, uh, and and they say, you know, that doesn't happen to real Christians. Uh, According to verse 10, it does. Because he says, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Who's that? God. That that God make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You will be solid. Amen. And that will bring great glory to him. So we can see that there's that beauty of the humility in us that reflects Jesus Christ and and we're warned you know from Peter's own experience to be on guard but it's it's not about how on guard we are it's how great God is amen <laughs> I like that then let's look at verse uh, let's see let's go to verse verses 12 through 14 and close this out now uh, as often happens in a, a Bible, a New Testament letter, in the Greek style of writing, uh, who, is, who the letter is from is mentioned early in the letter, usually. And if there's a, uh, an amenuensis, I think is the word, I probably said that wrong, but like a, like a secretary, an admin that uh, Paul or Peter use, and they'll be mentioned sometimes near the end of the letter. And Peter... Peter was inspired by the Holy Spirit to to write this, but it was physically written down by his helper, Silvanus. Some say that that is also Silas. Uh, Remember Paul and Silas? Uh, I don't know if, if that's true or not, but anyway, verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you. As I suppose I've written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. You know, they may have been going through suffering. They may have been worrying, you know, well, maybe maybe we're not doing the right thing or believing the right thing. He says, oh, no, 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 no. The gospel that you believed is the real gospel. This is the true grace of God wherein you stand. He said, and I've written you this letter briefly, exhorting, encouraging, urging and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. And you know, in order to send them that letter, he used this person, Silvanus. 
and he's only described right here as a faithful brother. You know what? You may only be able to do what you can do, but if it's what God gave you to do, do it to the glory of God. And Silvanus at this moment did that, and God honors him. Isn't that great? Verse 13, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, that is chosen together with you, saluteth you. That is, they, they greeted the other believers in the other churches who would read Peter's letter. And so doth Marcus, my son. Now, we believe this is probably the uh, John Mark that, that failed on that first missionary journey. He didn't stick it out. I don't know if he failed at it, but he didn't complete the journey. Uh, irritated Paul a good bit. You remember that? We believe this is the same person, and yet he also was the same person the Lord used to write the very first gospel, the gospel of Mark. And guess what? In, in that instance uh, earlier, because we believe that was written, I think, about 50 A.D. or something, very, very close to, after the time the Lord ascended back to heaven is the earliest gospel we believe but um, it was it could be called the gospel of Peter you know that we call the gospel of Mark because it's 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 centrally uh, it's about Christ of course but it it centers a lot around things that Peter you know Simon Peter Cephas said and did in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll you'll see that as you look back now, there's an interesting thing here. Um, for whatever reason, the Lord could have used Mark, Marcus, the, the son in the faith to Peter. He could have used him to write this letter down, but he didn't use him. He used Silvanus instead. Isn't that neat? Everybody plays a part, and there are no big and small parts. There's just your part, whatever God has for you to do. Isn't that great? <laughs> so even even if you think, well, even the Lord could use even me, even you, and he doesn't look at it like that. He looks at it as he gets to use you because he loves you and and that you love him and and he honors you to the degree that you honor him. Does that make sense? Well, anyway, I, I found that very interesting there. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody mention that. It just occurred to me, I think, yesterday when I was thinking about this gospel. Then in verse 14, uh, well, well, let's, uh, before we get away from 13, look, look there where it says, The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you. That is, they, they greeted them. That Babylon, uh, it could obviously be the real city of Babylon in Iraq. That could have been. I don't know if Peter was ever there or not. Most probably it's representative, uh, as I have used it, of either literally the city of Rome, which many believe that he's referring to Rome. It could be also that the Babylon here is that world system that all believers in Christ, you know, we're we're walking through this world system, this Babylon, this enemy of God, this fallen, wicked world system politically and religiously. And by the way, if you didn't know it was wicked politically, I'm pretty sure after 2020, you get it. Enough said on that. 
The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you. So I think it's pretty safe to say, at, at the very least, it refers to this fallen world system that we go through and may even have literally been a cryptic reference to the city of Rome itself. Verse 14, greet you one another with a kiss of charity. You know, that's the same uh, thing that, that we see around the world, especially in, in Europe. Uh, you know, that, that kiss on each cheek, a, a kiss of charity, that is of Christian love. And it's, uh, they were to greet one another. And, and, you know, to be part of a church, you know, we might handshake today or I guess now fist bump, whatever. But to be part of a, of a church that's more like the family of God, which it really is, isn't that great? You remember that series that used to be on TV years ago called Cheers? I always thought that, that every time Norm came through the door, when everybody in that establishment would yell out, Norm! And then the theme song talks about everybody um, wants to go, I think it's, what is it? Everybody wants to go where everybody knows your name. You remember that in the theme song? And I once said to my wife, I, I've often thought that that should be how it is in a church, that when a believer in Christ is with the brethren, it's like your name is called out. Everybody's glad you're there. They love you. They care about you. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, when you're in Christ, that is, you've been born again, and because of that, you are now part of the body of Christ. We belong to Christ. We are together in the body of Christ because we are now in Christ Jesus. It's not that you're a member of a local physical church that meets in a geographical location. That's good if it's the right kind of church, but it's that we're together, we're the church because we're all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So he says that we can have that peace and he wishes that and prays that for us. Amen. Well, you know what? We've made it all the way through First Peter talking about pilgrims in Babylon and how suffering and the help of the Lord plays in. We're going to move uh, in our next episode to Second Peter and finish out Pilgrims in Babylon over the next few weeks following. You may be at a point right now where you're wondering about your relationship with Christ, or maybe you, you're certain that you're a Christian, but you have spiritual questions. If you need some help about spiritual matters, I want you to write down this number. I'm going to say it twice, 888 537-8720. And if you'll call that number, someone will answer your questions about becoming a Christian or growing in your faith as a Christian. And it could be a very great experience for you to get that that help in growing in your faith in the Lord. Well, I thank you for listening, and um, I'm recording this right after Christmas, so a belated Merry Christmas to you. 
I pray that 2021 will be a better year for everybody. But I know Bible prophecy, but I, I, I want everyone listening to walk more closely with the Lord in 2021 than maybe you ever have before in your life. And who knows that 2021 may be the year the Lord returns for His church, the Bride of Christ. Please tell other people about This Week in the Word found at dredhill.podbean.com. Let's get the word out as we wait and work for the Lord. Bye-bye.